welcome to another episode of Dynamic Duos. I'm Dustin Holland. Uh, usually I work behind the scenes on the show, but this episode we're doing things a little differently and giving uh, you, our wonderful listeners, an opportunity to meet the hosts of the show. So I've uh, got today, we are joined by uh, CBR's very own Brittany Frederick, Sam Stone, and Brian Cronin. Uh, they're here today to talk about their experience as pop culture writers and uh, look back at the year 2023 and look ahead to what they're most excited about for 2024. So thank you for joining us, and I can't wait to listen in. Yeah, thanks for uh, you know inviting us together to just kind of break virtual bread and compare <laughs> geeky notes. Um, yeah. I mean, 2023, or I guess 2024, off to a great... And, you know, Brittany, you went to Broadway? You saw something on Broadway? I, I did. I actually... Well, I had seen it off-Broadway originally in 2022, but uh, Merrily We Roll Along, the Sondheim Revival, transferred to Broadway in 23. And so I had the great honor of going back to see that again. It is the best theatrical experience I have ever had. Like, I actually legitimately cried in the middle of a theater, which... I don't do. So it was fantastic to see my favorite actor, Sam, as you know, I'm a big Jonathan Groff fan. So to get to see him on stage, literally maybe 10 feet from me was fantastic. Uh, Lindsay Mendez from All Rise, of course, is in that and Daniel Radcliffe. So it was just a masterclass in what makes great theater. And then I got to actually go with my acting coach. And so we got to spend the night together comparing notes and, and geeking out about that. So that was definitely my favorite thing. Uh, I did all year because not only did I do that, I actually got to run into Jonathan afterwards. So top, immediately top 10 bucket list moment of my life when you're standing <laughs> on the street next to Jonathan Groff. So, well, and you, around, was it around this time last year that you got to talk to him for knock at the cabin? Yeah. It was really funny about that was I thought about, do I mention that? Do I mention that he already knows who I am? And then I'm like, don't, I'm like, your personal life is your personal life and your work is a different <laughs> thing. And if he recognized me from that, he didn't say it, but, you know, we have mutual friends, so it's it's kind of like in that setting. I'm just like, oh, I'm a friend of a friend of his. So that was mm -hmm. that was really fun. He actually got to see my acting reel. My acting coach had sent him the video, and so I said, okay, I'm I'm kind of scared to ask. He goes, oh, he goes, unprompted goes, oh, I saw your tape, and I went, oh no. And I said, okay, <laughs> give it to me straight. Like how was it? He goes, oh, you were amazing. And he just goes on, and I kid you guys, like I, I blanked out. I don't remember the rest of the words because I'm just standing there staring at him. And I actually asked my acting coach, I said, what the hell did he just say to me? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, that's crazy. Wow. He's like, because I was, I was just staring at you being that excited. And I'm like, okay. So when your hero tells you you're amazing, you take the win. Yeah, yeah. Brian, you getting anything in the... Uh... Well, actually, funny. Uh, we, uh, Brittany and I talked. I saw Merrily was off-Broadway as well. Uh, so it's, it's kind of cool that uh, we both saw this particular show. Um, anything Sondheim, my, my wife is our, we have a whole room decked out in Stephen Sondheim stuff. So anytime there's a new show, we usually will go see it on Broadway. Oh, right on. Yeah. No, in terms of like blanking out, whatever, I can always keep it together during an interview. I can always keep it together during an interview, but afterwards it's just like, I'll like walk out of a press room or turn off zoom or whatever and be like, I just talked to Nicholas cage. <laughs> like like it, there's a delayed reaction. That's funny. I think for me, we're like, which I think I guess helps in the interview. I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't watch my own work. I don't know. <laughs> it's always such a, it's always such a pain, like transcribing my own stuff. Cause I have to hear my own stupid voice. 
So, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, I haven't, you know, all the times I've been in New York, I've never seen anything on Broadway. Really? It just, really? yeah, it just sure. never, I, I know. It's not like, a, it's not a conscious, like, like, what's the Broadway, universe? right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I only do off, off Broadway. <laughs> no, right. I, uh, yeah, I just, um, you know, I've seen, st- I live in the DC area, so I see stuff at the Kennedy Center. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. All the time. But, uh, and I go, but I go to New York a fair amount and I've never, never kept caught anything on stage. No Phantom, no Les Mis. No, um, what's a good dramatic one? Uh, Kill a Mockingbirds, you know, uh, Sorkin's To Kill a Mockingbird, which is to say Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, Yeah, it just never, um, never happened. So one of these, maybe 2024 is the year where where I change them. And maybe it's Merrily. Well, um, Brian, didn't they just extend that? Yes, I did. You you said you're going back. has no excuse. You say you haven't killed July. You're seeing it later this year, aren't you? Yeah, I will be back in March. Um, I really wanted my family to go and see it, and I wanted a chance to see it one more time. And so the original, I think, closing was end of March. And so I will be back uh, end of March to see it one last time. And then, of course, right after, I change my whole schedule and, of course, go into several thousand dollars of debt to make all the travel arrangements. Then they extended it. I'm like, oh, I could have waited until you know, June and save the money up for it. But my, my friend pointed out, they said, just cause the play's extending doesn't mean Jonathan's going to be that's there. That's true. That's true. And I'm like, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's one of the big reasons I'm going back. And I would be really annoyed if I flew all the way to New York from California and he wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know, you know how it is with this business, like yep. extensions and scheduling conflicts and all that, all that kind of stuff. So it's funny. I've given, I've given tickets in the past. That's one of a go-to Christmas is getting tickets to Broadway stuff, mm-hmm. but man, it is crazy how expensive Broadway stuff is now. Barely oh, in particular is it, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think my that's wife and I part. we got tickets to Hamilton early on the first year. Before, like as soon as they announced that it was going to be on Broadway, we listed. We thought, hey, if people really want to see this this badly, we'll put our tickets out. We listed them for some crazy amount. Didn't sell because we. I mean, we wanted to see the show, so we yeah. put it out. But that same ticket, a couple after the Tonys came out, same ticket was going for twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah, isn't that amazing? It's just, could, it's crazy. You could go to Coachella twice for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I I have the worst story about that, and it, it's not an entertainment story; it's a sports story. But um, I'm a San Diego Padres fan, grew up as a Padres fan. So when they mm. made the playoffs last season, right, I jumped on Ticketmaster. Was very lucky to get a pair of tickets to the National League Championship Series and paid some ridiculous amount for them and then immediately had buyer's remorse. I went, my my fa- my dad, who goes to me at every game, was out of town, and I'm going, I just spent $1,600 on these tickets. You know, mm. he's going he's gonna to look at me and go, why did you do that? He's not going to want to go. And so I said, okay, what I'm going to do is put them on step up for, again, some really stupid number. Right, and right. if they sell, they sell. And if they don't, I'll take my dad and we'll have a good time. They sold overnight. Like, I wow. literally just made up some number. And that actually paid for part of my trip to New York because I did That's not amazing. expect them to go and they went overnight. So part of me regrets it because then we swapped the Dodgers, who, as you know, if you're a Padres fan, we hate the Dodgers. <laughs> um, and so I part of me was crying that like I missed that clinching game where we swapped the Dodgers. The other part of me is like, but I just paid for my trip to New York. So <laughs> I've been the most I've paid for a single sporting event is um, I went to see the last 
World Series game in DC between okay. the Nationals and the Astros. Astros. Yeah. yeah, and it was uh, six hundred dollars for standing room. Wow! So I did that, <laughs> for, and we lost, but we won the World Series, and that's <laughs> the important there you thing. go. My best flip was I got Knicks tickets early on, and it was during Linsanity. Oh, so God, yeah. I was able we I sold those for like at least five times what I paid enough that I was able to still go to that same game just in worse seats mm-hmm. and make it was crazy how much it, it was it was going back then. Yeah. What you know, in in kind of like looking back on on everything, what was the what were some of your early fandoms or geeky kind of geeky things that kind of eventually would inadvertently blossom to you being at CBR? Well, I know for me, in general, I grew up on on crime dramas. My joke is that while everybody else was watching cartoons in Sesame Street, my seminal shows as a kid were the original Law and Order and mm. Homicide Life on the Street. And I'm going to date myself the Equalizer, the show, oh. not the movies. I want to be clear here. Um, and that kind of explains why I grew up into the adult that I did, because actually I wanted to be a homicide detective. Um, wow, still have wow. a great amount of, of reverence for that profession. And so that's what I grew up on. And then, Sam, you actually brought it up. My first big show I remember being really obsessed with was Sports Night, Aaron Sorkin's Sports Night. Sure. And that was the show where I kind of made the pivot. I had always been geeking out about TV and always wanted to be a writer. Uh, but then I saw that show and I went, wait a minute, you can write like that for television? Like that's, I just thought that was the kind of writing you, you had to do in a novel or something that was much bigger. And so as soon as I saw that show and then The West Wing came out, I was like, I want to do that. Like, I want to be that guy. And oh, so... Yeah. I pivoted to screenwriting, and then when my screenwriting career didn't work out, my friends were like, you know, they also pay people to sit around and talk about television, which you've been doing for 20 years. And I went, oh, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, it was right after I had my surgery and broke both of my legs. I was actually wheelchair bound for about two years. And it was great because I was available for everything. Um, I'm sure you guys remember when conference calls still used to be a thing. Sure. I was available for every conference call, <laughs> every screener that came my way, because I had all this time on my hands. Right. And yeah. so my recovery period became the same period in which I built my career, because I was just, that was what I was able to focus on. So mm-hmm. I, I joke that my career makes absolutely no no sense at all. <laughs> I had never intended to be in this field, and here we are, 25, yeah. it'll be 25 years next year in this field. So. Um, yeah. Brian, I mean, you've got the comic book deep dives on lock. Do you remember, <laughs> you remember where that all started? Well, it's funny. My mother was a children's librarian for many years. And so I would go visit her all the time and constantly taking out books in the library. And it was there I probably first saw, you know, collections of comic books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And anytime, if there was any sort of comic related thing, I would be taking out three of them every day when I visit her. And and I guess that really got me into the comics in general. But what's funny is I probably didn't really get into comics until I was a, almost like roughly like a teenager. A lot of people, especially people who are weirdo uh, comic history guys like me, tend to start a little bit earlier than that. Hmm. I, I wrote a book about the X-Men, and it's funny it, it, trying to admit that my first issue of X-Men, Claremont had already left the book by the time I started. Oh, man. It. So... Yeah. Early nineties, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just funny you write that um to be that into it while missing th- those early stuff. It's a funny <laughs> the seminal years. 
<laughs> but again, I guess you could you could read them in back issues. So that was always a good thing. So yeah, yeah. By the you know, I remember all that hype around X Men number one, and right. you know, I still have. I think I have all the covers. I still, I think I still have all of the interconnecting covers for that. And I remember Todd McFarlane's Spider Man number one was around the same time, and that was right. huge. Um, my first comic book was uh, Death of Superman, Superman number 75, volume two. Yep, there you go. Um, you know, because I remember kids talking about it on the schoolyard, you know, like Superman's, Superman's, this is it. He's getting cooked. And, and I was like, he, it's Superman. He can, <laughs> you know, I, I had grown up watching like TV Land or Nick at Night reruns of like Adventures of Superman with George, George Reeves. And, right. and um, so that was kind of, I still, have fond memories of, of that and the, <laughs> the stock sound effects whenever he flies like the wind tunnel. Um, and so, yeah, I, I remember reading Superman number 75 off the shelf and I still have that. You got into it just when he dies. It's over. You know. Well, it was a weird time, right? Because like <laughs> Superman in that period, Superman died. Batman was like put on, like had his back broken. Right. Um, Green Lantern went nuts. Uh, Spider-Man was maybe a clone and not even the <laughs> editors knew at that point, like if, if that's like what they were going with it. So yeah, I kind of jumped into comics at like this weird transition period and, and then everything kind of like <laughs> the peak of nineties comics and then everything kind of, you know, gelled thereafter. But in terms of like television and movies, um, it all ties back to whatever was on, you know, I, I wouldn't co- go as far to call myself a latchkey kid, but I definitely had free reign of the basement a lot of the time and right. whatever was on in those early days of cable, um, you know, sci-fi used to show Godzilla every Saturday, Godzilla movies, every like Showa era Godzilla movies every right. Saturday morning. So I would watch like Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Um, Star Trek, the original series was on reruns. Next Generation was still on the air. I remember catching episodes of TNG when it was still, you know, a thing. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of like parlaying that into a career, it's kind of a complicated, like Brittany, it's kind of a complicated roundabout accidental story (laughs) because nobody plans this. Nobody plans this. (laughs) Um, you know, I had, when I was in grad school, I had started a podcast because I was doing the driest, longest readings of my entire life. And I was like, (laughs) I just want an outlet where I can talk about Star Wars right. <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> and um, it, we would talk about comics and Image Comics at that time had a preview magazine, Image Plus, and they asked me if I could talk to their talent. And then they asked me if I could write for the magazine. And then like a lot of print media, the magazine eventually got discontinued. At that time, Albert was working at CBR and he asked if I wanted to come on board and I did. And here I am almost six years later. So wow. it's uh it's a been a wild weird ride but it's like one of those things like and I'm sure you guys like face this too whenever somebody offers you something you just always say yes <laughs> <laughs> like uh, you know, you know. I, I think that might be a product of our generation because I know the longer that I stayed in this business I would work with other writers and I would say, hey, you know, we have this opportunity. Is anybody interested? And I got a lot of overwhelming, oh, I don't watch that show or I don't follow that person, so I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know if you guys have similar stories, but some of the best opportunities in my career have come from me going, yeah, I don't know what that is, but I'll take a shot and I'll go do the research and I'll go see what it is. And then you step into the room and you discover a new show that you love or you meet somebody that you uh, really click with. Um, one of my oldest friends, I just spoke to him, is Michael Truco from Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. Um, we've known each other for, I believe, 13 years now. And we met, he did a show for USA called Fairly Legal. Uh, I just happened to be doing a lot of press with USA Network at the time. And so that was their next show up. And they sent me the screener. And I said, I really like this dude's performance. Like, get this dude on the phone. I, I want to kind of get to know him. Mm -hmm. And we hit it off immediately. And he's still to this day one of my best friends and biggest supporters. And that all happened just because I was like, yeah, seems like a good idea at the time. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like what um... – we're doing this fresh off the Emmys. What what shows are you kind of like really connecting with these days, you know, be it stuff that aired, you know, across the 2023 season or even early in 2024? You know, Brian, I think I'm going to let you take that one to start because a lot of what I've been watching is the same stuff I, I've been watching, <laughs> to be honest. In fact, actually, the last thing I got really excited about watching was a show that everybody forgot about that popped up on Hulu randomly out of nowhere. And I was like, I can watch this again. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, what's funny about the Emmys this year, it it pretty much was what, three shows won everything? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet, at, at the same time, you can't really blame them because The Bear and Succession are both really, really, really good shows. So, yeah, yeah. I really can't, you can't begrudge them in any of these categories. Although it's that funny thing, as obviously everyone's discussing the idea of The Bear as a comedy. Yeah, yeah. And Succession as a drama. <laughs> it's, it's that funny like, thing of suddenly it's, it's difficult. It's sort of like, remember the old days whenever, I mean, it still goes on today, when the clear lead of the movie says that they're a supporting actor because yeah. they know they, they had no chance of winning yeah. uh, lead actor. And yeah. uh, like Brad Pitt is the supporting actor in uh, um, Once Upon a Time. Yeah, Once Upon a Time when he's or heck or even uh, a famous one was uh, Training Day. Ethan Hawke is in every scene of Training Day. Every scene of the movies is just is from his perspective. And yet he's a supporting actor for the movie. I'm trying to remember. I mean, I feel like Denzel is like top build, though. And oh, I just no, Denzel's that, amazing. And it's just funny that no, how, no, is, how, you support, how are you supporting actor when yeah. you're in every scene of the movie? It's from it's from Ethan Hawke's perspective, every scene. Yeah, no, I get that. I'm just trying to think, like, in terms of billing. Like, just oh, I'm like sure I, Denzel was listed first. Yeah, sure. just like I think I'm pretty sure Leo's listed first for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even though... We only, I mean, yeah, so much of the story falls on on Cliff Booth and not Rick Dalton. Um, yeah, you know, I'm a huge Better Call Saul fan, and uh, it kind of set the record for most nominations and zero wins. <laughs> I can understand. I was just talking to someone. I can understand Odin Kirk not getting, just, uh, even though I thought, I agree, I think he should have gotten an, an award at some point. At least once, come at on. At least it's a tough category. <laughs> Succession every year. Like yeah. it's tough, I get it, but Rhea Seahorn never. She's so good. It's insane yeah. that Rhea. In fact, it's insane that it's. Oh, uh, it was a success that she even got nominated because yeah. they didn't even nominate her most of the seasons. Yeah, um, yeah. it's absurd. Yeah. I, I, I love the bear. You know, bear's great, but but yeah, I was kind of, I was bummed. I uh, thought they'd at least get a bit of gold before because that's according to Vince Gill Gilligan. That's uh, that's it. 
he's like, all right, you know, I've done everything I wanted to do in the Breaking Bad universe. You know, I've done my continuation movie. I've done my spinoff series. I'm I'm good. (laughs) Just like, okay, well, all right. Just know that we love you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, and I've been uh, to prep for, um, I guess, a peek behind the curtain a bit to prep for like Tokyo Vice season two. I've been rewatching Tokyo Vice season one. And I was just in Tokyo earlier this week. And uh, it's wild. I forgot how Michael Manny that show is. It's very I, Michael Manny. That's a good yeah. <laughs> Which I love. I love, you know, Michael Mann, you know, even some of his like, even stuff like The Keep. I'm like, oh, you know, I see what you're trying to do here. All right, cool. But like, um, yeah, I've been, I, you know, Britt, you're a big crime show person. Have you watched any, you know, Tokyo Vice? Uh, I haven't yet, but I did read the book. Now, Sam, are you a big proponent of, like, reading the book if there is a book? Because I've always been, if I have the time, I'll go and I'll read the book of something first. I actually do it the opposite way. I go and look at the book afterwards so I don't – it doesn't color my opinion of the movie. Um, You could argue, but you're coloring your option of the book. It's like, no, because I know that this came – this is the source material in a lot of cases. Um you know, uh, there's obviously like differences with that. I mean, I, every time I watch a comic book movie, I'm like, oh, okay, that you're drawing from this, this, and this. Um, but I, you know, uh, I haven't read. Is it a good book? It it is. It's. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but I have pretty high standards. My my favorite book of all time is still David Simon's Homicide. Uh, oh, that's an amazing yeah, it, book. It's that, that and book. John Douglas's Mindhunter. Um, are still sure. my top two. So, uh, my, my favorite cool. version of that, though, to your point, actually was Knock at the Cabin, because I'm sure you remember you were helping me prep for that interview. I had read the book yes. and was like, okay, everything works out fine in the end. This is great. I have no reason to be upset. And then, of course, you come in and go, yeah, by the way, ending of the movie, totally different. And Jonathan bites it. And I was like, oh, thank you very much. And so, actually, I remember carrying that into the interview. Uh, I asked them, I said, yeah, did you guys, you know, actually get time to read the book? Because I said, I, I went into the movie thinking everything was fine. I didn't need to be worried about anything. And then Jonathan dies. So you know what? Screw you, Ben Aldridge. And, and Ben just loses it laughing. And uh, we all did. That was That's the end of the interview. I don't think it made it into the cut that's on YouTube. But no. the end of the interview was just all three of us just died because that's I was like, yeah, everything was fine. And then Jonathan Groff is dead now and I'm sad. Well, yeah. I mean, you got to preserve the surprise. <laughs> Oops. I think everybody forgets that movie came out last year, too. Like, yeah. nobody talks about that movie. <laughs> Nobody's like, oh, there's another M. Night Shyamalan movie that came out in, like, January. <laughs> and it was fine. It wasn't, you know, um, there's better and worse M. Night Shyamalan movies. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought I thought that one was was all right. Yeah, no, I remember there. That That's one of those ones where I was like, oh, by the way, this is, you know, it's, or like, um, it's interesting watching Oppenheimer after you read like American Prometheus. Um, Cause there's a lot, I mean, American Prometheus being a book is so it's a huge book and right. there's a lot of stuff that it covers that understandably doesn't make the film um, that they sometimes only allude to if they allude to at all. But yeah, no, I, I tend to go back after I've sampled something and, and check it out from there. Um, yeah. And in some cases, like, Here's something that I've been kind of vibing on. I do a lot of horror stuff. Have you guys ever seen like um, seen or read Peter Straub's like Ghost Story? 
Oh, no, right, I'm, mean... I am. I'm squeamish. I avoid the whole horror genre. Oh, Brian, you, the story you... the 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 eighty the, the eighty one, yeah, the with, with... Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah with yeah. Fred Astaire, his last his yes, last yes, movie. Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, that that is a good movie. Yeah, we, they... I, we talk, it's funny we were talking about that when I did the recent dynamic duos with Eric Powell and Becky mm-hmm. Cloonan because that's basically the inspiration for their new Dark Horse collection for mm-hmm. Gathered on Christmas Eve which is for Gather to do ghost stories and yeah. inspired by ghost story. Which is like, that's another one of those ones where they really streamlined straw. Cause that's a big novel. Right. Um, and it's, I want to say the movie's like less than two hours and it's, I think so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, I have some problems with the movie. Like it's as an adaptation, not as much as like Stephen King does with the shining, but, and have you been seeing that discourse online lately? Like people like renewing, like, like the Stephen King. Oh, Cooper. the problem he has with Shining. Yeah, like the one adaptation where he's kind of like, eh, and it's just like, but at the same time, intensely personal story for Stephen King. So it makes right. not to mention he's the author. So if he doesn't like it, he has that right. <laughs> well, I guess a lot of those times you got these stories where um, the t- movie time just isn't enough for that story. All mm-hmm. these guys, they all love miniseries of their book uh, because that's that gives them the time to actually get it done, you know? Well, also, like, you know, spoilers for a 40-some-year-old movie at this point, but, you know, in the novel, Jack redeems himself. Right. He regains enough control to destroy the Overlook. And uh, in the novel, which, you know, you could argue, or in the movie, he doesn't. He freezes in the hedge maze. Um, so it was, it was interesting watching Dr. Sleep, like, reconcile the two kind of like work is almost like a like a retread of the shining and also adapt doc, the novel doctor sleep yeah i'm a, i'm a huge horror i one of these days i need to talk to stephen king i've talked to joe hill a couple <laughs> times i've just never never quite gotten king yet i've covered so many king adaptations i just need to one day you know maybe if i just hang out in like small town maine. Maine, just go to maine just hang he'll out he'll just like summon he'll just, <laughs> <laughs> he'll just like appear and uh, I'll finally talk to him about ACDC or, 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 or whatever. He's a huge ACDC. I, I finally met Sorkin uh, oh, yeah. years ago when he was doing the newsroom. And it is one of the rare instances in which I have forgotten how the English language works. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just kind of at the end of the thing. Uh, it wasn't even a formal interview. Just the publicist who was working the press line knew that I was a huge fan of his and said, I want to introduce you to somebody. And he comes over and he's just like, oh, hi, it's nice to meet you. And I'm just like, oh, my God, hi. Like, I am such a huge fan of you. And I explained to him, I said, you know, Sportsnight is the, the show that set me on this particular career path. And we talked about that for a while. I was so out of it that my friend that was working the line next to me hits me in the arm. And I go, what? And he goes, do you want to ask him to take a picture with you? And I went, oh, yeah. Like, I had completely... Blanks. Just got suckered into it, but yeah, those those are the great moments. Have you, have you guys ever had those moments where you're like, I will never get this interview. There is no way that I will ever even be in the room with somebody, and then it comes through. Sure, yeah, I mean, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> There's part of me that's kind of like it's uh, every interview is kind of its own unexpected gift, especially if it's at. Now I've never talked to Aaron Sorkin, but um, you know I invoked Nicolas Cage earlier. Nicolas Cage right. is one of those guys. Yeah, one of my favorite memories of New York Comic Con this past New York Comic Con has nothing to do 
with it wasn't an interview it was um it it was in between interviews i was hanging out at the storm king comics booth on the show floor talking to sandy king carpenter and john carpenter's there the entire time and wow. after i talked to sandy it's just me and it's there's no video of it there's no i didn't ask for a picture because that would completely change the dynamic um like selfie with john carpenter how would that go <laughs> Um, it's just me and John Carpenter talking, comparing notes about video games. Cause if you ever talk to John Carpenter, he doesn't really, he's talked about his own work. He doesn't really want to talk about his own work, but if you talk to him about, yeah, if you talk to him about video games, like he's a huge fan of Sonic Unleashed. (laughs) I don't know what you do with that, but (laughs) so I remember telling him that they uh, Sega has since delisted that game digitally. I was like, yeah, that's a collector's item now, John. He was kind of surprised because he actually, you know, legitimately enjoys the Sonic the Hedgehog game where Sonic can turn into a werewolf. But but yeah, so um, yeah, I mean, every every interview. Brian, have you ever had like a pinch me interview? Well, was, Is it- it's funny. I think about uh, I always think about the the worst opportunity I missed, <laughs> which oh. was uh, years ago. I got a I got a, um, a message. I just didn't see it. I didn't see it in time. It was from uh, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, who oh, was yes. working on an updated version of the Superman musical from the sixties, mm. and he was in town w- doing a workshop with it with Charles Strauss, the guy who wrote the original musical and wrote Annie. He did you know a uh, really big uh, musical composer, and he's. He's still alive. He's still alive. He's like he's got to be like ninety seven. He's he's an old dude still yeah. around. And they were working on Andrew Lloyd Webber years. Yeah. And he <laughs> says, if you want to come down, we're working on the workshop. If you want to come in uh, and see and see what we're doing, didn't get it in time. And I, I get at just haunted me ever since. There's nothing like. How about Grant? Grant Morrison. They're a great interview. Like, like, have you ever had the pleasure of talking to Grant? No, ne- never had the opportunity. That's a that's a good one. Yeah, never had the opportunity. Oh. Um, that is that's amazing. When you mention that, though, is it is that kind of cool thing? Like when I did my uh, second book, and part of it was I had guest lists. I had uh, comic creators do guest spots, and it is really cool to be able to go, "Hey, I writer X Y Z, could you help me? You know, do me a favor and, and do a list for my book." And the amount of people who showed up to help was, it was really nice. Mm -hmm. So that is really cool when you do it long enough that you know these people that they'll do you favors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's where it's the interesting thing about comics. It's not a big, like it's a relatively close knit, tight knit community. It's, you know, especially when, when it comes to the, for lack of a better term, like the majors, like in terms of like, people that have worked with the big two, like people know each other and there's reputations and you find out who gets along with who and who doesn't. And, um, you know, I mean, I mean, especially for you, Brian, you, you tread in the urban legend and and deep dive. (laughs) So, you know, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that lore, so to speak. Um, Funny thing you mentioned about that is that I've been doing it long enough. Now I was looking at someone, someone asked a question. So I went back to an old column mm -hmm. and, it's kind of depressing when you see the answers I got to that column. And you're like, oh, like Len Wein, George Perez, Dick Giordano. 
they all I I I, I used to be able to talk to all those guys, and now yeah. it's yeah. so that's one that's the, one of the sad things. Of, but at the same time, it's a blessing because I was able to talk to all these guys. Yeah, before, you know, that's that's mm-hmm. awesome. I you know I I only ever I never talked to Len, never talked to Stan. I talked to George once, not for an interview, just as a fan. You know, I just kind of approached him and thanked him for all his work. And at the, he was closing up his table and he was like, I don't have time for a, for a commission. I was like, I'm, I'm not asking for one, I'm not asking for one. <laughs> I just wanted, just wanted to thank you. You know, got him to sign my copy of uh, Christ on Infinite Earths. At the time, it was the 20th anniversary copy. Now we're coming up in a f- couple years on the, on next year, on the, uh, Oh, 40th anniversary of Christ. Right? Secret Wars. It's the 40th anniversary of Secret Wars right now. I know. It's crazy. Man. Yeah. Britt, you ever get into the, you were talking about television and and stage. You ever get into the old comic book or, or, uh, or superhero realm? I I did growing up. I I have fallen out of it, but I was big into the uh, Mm X-Men as a kid. I very strongly identified with that as somebody from an underrepresented group. Uh, I still remember being really excited when the first X-Men movie came out 24 years ago that, hey, we finally got an X-Men movie. And uh, that was my introduction to Hugh Jackman, which, uh, you know, yeah. of course, look at look at what he's gone on to accomplish. I got to see him in concert a few years ago, and that was fantastic. Um, but, yeah, I still have boxes of, of X-Men and Captain America and all the associated X-Books that are sitting in my bedroom. Because, of course, that was the thing with comic books, too, is you get really anal about them. It's like, I must polybag these, and then I must oh, organize yeah. them correctly, and then don't touch them. <laughs> yeah, I alphabetize mine by family. So all, even though New Mutants would ostensibly go with the N's, they're with the X titles. And even though Adventures of Superman should theoretically go A, it's with the Superman titles. <laughs> like, like I'm very meticulous about, you know, how I and it's yeah. I live in a one bedroom apartment. It's um, those long boxes. They uh, take up space. Yes, take up some space. Take up some space. Yeah. It's uh, I'm trying to. I'm you know. I'm trying to, I'm thinking about buying a house and part of it is like, cool to have a basement again where I can just shove all my long boxes. My, my favorite book growing up, and this made me apparently uncool, was I was a big Human Target fan, actually. Oh, wow. And so what made me really happy was when they adapted that to series for Fox. Mm-hmm. They cast Mark Valley, who happens to be one of my favorite actors. And so that thing that show was like some weird confluence of everything i was into it's like hey it's my favorite comic book played by my favorite actor and look who's doing the composing oh look it's bear mccreary i'm just gonna stand here and geek out and so i had the best time for the two years that that show was on the air uh, mm. and actually was really cool about it. it was mark and i uh met actually at wondercon mark and i became friendly mm-hmm. uh, i haven't talked to him in a little bit but he was always fantastic and then Bear, because I've worked with him now on other projects, Walking Dead and things like that, got me a copy of the sheet music for the theme from Human Target and signed it for me, and it's in my office. So I I have that memento of saying, hey, they finally brought my favorite comic to TV, and I got to be a a, a significant part of that. Even if it's just a small part, what I did made some kind of impact in that. What about the, not the Rich Springfield Human Target? No, no, dear God, no. <laughs> I, you know, Bear is one of my favorite. I love doing music interviews. We don't venture into that, understandably venture into that space a whole lot. Um, but when we do, I always love doing it. 
you know, and Bear is one of my favorites. Like I got to talk to him for Rings of Power last year when they were like doing their big Emmy push. Right. And he's he's great. I, I love talking to Bear. Um, yeah, I can't can't say enough. Him and um, Michelle Zahner from Japanese Breakfast. I got an interviewer because she did the um, soundtrack to Sable available now on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X, and PC. And, um, yeah, I mean, those are – and like me, Michelle's half Korean, and so it was, uh, it was really cool kind of comparing notes because I don't see her at any of the half Korean meetings that we have in secret. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we're going to talk about favorite interviews that other people, you know, might not be as aware of, I, I do want to give a shout-out to my crew uh, – with the first 48. Uh, I have been a fan of that show since it started decades ago. I believe we are coming up on the 25th anniversary. I could be wrong. Um, but particularly in the last couple of years, I got bored and I said, I'm just going to start talking about this show. Like I, I really have an appreciation for homicide detectives and particularly the folks in uh, Tulsa homicide, shout out to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I said, I'm just going to start writing. And God bless, um, she's no longer with us, uh, Lizzie Lanuza, who was um, here. And she was listening to me talk about this show. And I said, can I write about this show? And no one else other than me watches it, but I really, really care about it. And she says, yeah, try it. Go ahead and try it. And so I wrote a piece about Tulsa Homicide and the show. And next thing I know is I'm getting an Instagram message from one of their former homicide detectives saying, oh, we, we really enjoy your, your articles. And I kind oh, of just stared great. at my phone and went, um, what? <laughs> and uh, messaged him back and said, that's funny. I really appreciate your work. And he says, well, I see you know, it kind of makes me want to go visit Tulsa. You all sound like a really interesting, really upstanding you know, bunch of people. He says, if you ever make it out here, uh, let me know. And I'd love to introduce you to the team. And so actually, when I was going to see Merrily, um off Broadway, I said, I got to fly back across the country anyway. So I hit oh, him up really? and I said, hey, is that offer good? You know, And he says, absolutely. He says, let me know what day you'll be in town. And they set it up. And I was lucky enough to actually walk into the Tulsa Homicide Unit. I got to meet all of the currently serving detectives and actually one wow. of my two of my favorites who had retired but were still in the building. They specifically called them and said, we want you to come down here and meet her. And so it was the coolest experience of my life to not only have that glimpse about what it really means to be a homicide detective and see that other way that my life could have gone, but to stand in a room full of people that I genuinely look up to as a person and be like, Dude, these people are excited that I'm here. Like yeah. they were they knew who I was, they read my stuff, we stood there, we were talking shop forever, and I'm still in touch with a couple of those people. Aww. And so to go from I watched these guys on my couch, you know, ten years ago to Tulsa just broke the record, I think, for most episodes of the first forty eight, uh, in the spring of twenty three, and mm -hmm. say, Now I know these people and they know my name and some of them talk to me socially. Yeah. It was the coolest thing in the world. But yet I still bring that show up to people and they're like, wait, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My uh, brother is a huge uh, First 48 fan. And I only, when my sister-in-law started dating him and they started seriously dating, she was she got a little nerve how many First 48 episodes he had. <laughs> She's they're, like, wait. They're over 500 now. I can't recall the exact number, and we are still going. A new season just started right after Christmas. But so he had a lot of his DVR, and she was for a brief moment there. She was like, "Is this concerning?" <laughs> yeah. Now you know I always take for granted that people read my stuff because I don't. I don't certainly don't look at the comments. 
Right. And I don't, I have dialed back my social media presence in a big way over the years. So anytime somebody mentions, whether it's somebody I know, a stranger, a celebrity mentions that they've read some of my stuff, it always weirds me out <laughs> because it's like, I do it and then I put it out of my and mind. It disappears. You do it yeah. and it disappears. No one ever thinks about it again. Yeah. Right. It goes into the submission world. <laughs> I make sure it gets published and that's it. <laughs> you know? So whenever somebody, I remember I was talking to uh, Jared Padalecki for, for Walker. Cause I'm like the site's Walker man. <laughs> and Jared was like, Oh, I've read some of this, you know, some of the stuff coverage you've done for our show. And I was just like, Oh, <laughs> okay. Like I had to like recollect myself. And that was like the very start of the interview. And it's like, Oh, uh, well let's talk about the t Walker. <laughs> no, I, I can, I can do you one better on that. And this is the most embarrassing. And also I think, coolest uh, random moment of my career um i don't know if you guys are familiar with linus roach who was in batman begins oh, and of not. course the final couple seasons of the original law and order before they brought it back um right. huge huge fan of his work and i have a habit of sometimes my brain will wander and i'll just put out these random columns like on a sunday going i don't give a crap if anybody reads this i just want to talk about it well yeah. there was a law and order marathon and i was like you know i've never talked about how good he was on that show and what he brought to that show um i'm just gonna do it on a sunday and nobody cares and so a couple, was it like a year or so later, he was on Vikings. And I knew the publicist for history that was doing Vikings. And I said, hey, is there any shot we get this dude on the phone? Because I'm a huge fan of his. And she goes, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll figure it out. So <clears throat> finally get this interview. The night before the interview, I've got bronchitis. Oh. And everyone's like, you have to cancel. And I said, no, no, no. Do you know how long I've waited to talk to Linus Roach? So I get on the phone. I'm doped up on like, Nyqu what is it, NyQuil or DayQuil or whatever. <laughs> the thing. I am absolutely... You can have both at the same Whatever time if you really want to pay. <laughs> so I'm already nervous enough because I'm nervous because it's him and I'm nervous because I'm sick. I get on the phone. They introduce me by name. And he goes, oh, you're the one that wrote that article about my Law & Order character. He goes, nobody has ever really understood what I was doing with that character until you wrote that article. And it keeps going on for about straight two minutes. And so my brain, Sam, kind of like yours, was like, what? And my brain <laughs> just exploded. And then I have to follow that. Yeah. And remember that I'm supposed to be having a conversation with this guy. Yeah, and I'm going to ask the questions. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And then luckily, I mean, it, it worked because actually I had the honor of talking to him. I think we did two or three more interviews after that. Oh. So, I mean, I earned his respect, but all I remember is being absolutely like throttled on cold medication and then having to process this great compliment from an actor that I love and going, What? <laughs> He's great. I don't. I know you're not a big horror person, but if you've ever seen the movie Mandy, with no, Cage, but isn't he in that? That's that's my yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's an unrated movie. Just wondering if you. Uh... Yeah, yeah. I'm just throwing that. <laughs> um, yeah, no. He's he's. It's Linus Roach. I'll simply say it is Linus Roach as you've never seen him before in uh, in Mandy. He does a he does a really good job. He does a really good job. Um, you guys, do you guys game at all? Do you guys like play video games? I do. <laughs> what was your first I console? Play. What was your What was your first console, Britt? I go all the way back to the Sega Genesis and the what the heck was the thing? <clears throat> Wasn't the Super Nintendo? No, it was the no it was the Sega Master System? The thing that was like the size of a brick. 
<laughs> oh, the hand, the hand, handheld is the Game Gear. I still have one of those, but my first thing that I really got into was Streets of Rage 2 on the Genesis. Best and of course, this console. being before the save function was invented, I spent I don't know how many hours straight to beat that game. I think I was right. up at like, you know, four in the morning and my family's coming out like, do you want to go to bed? And I'm like, no, because if I turn this thing off, I have to start all over I again. I lose everything. Yeah. No, I, Streets of Rage 2 is the best game on the Sega Genesis. Like, it's almost empirical to say that. Um, it is so good. It's got some of the best, like, 90s, early 90s soundtrack played through that blast processor. Um, yeah, it's, though, I was a Nintendo kid growing up. First console I ever owned was a Super Nintendo. I started on the NES, like at friends' houses, but like, right. yeah, I was a Super Nintendo kid, and now I have all three. You know, I have like the all three of the main consoles and a gaming PC, and it's kind of. Some people collect stamps. I collect comic books and video games. That's kind of that's that's where I'm at. I, you know, every time every time I go to Japan, I go to the vintage, like. You know, video game oh, shops. For the, and, the old, oh, gotcha. Like the real, yeah, old like stuff the Famicom that, that stuff. We have yeah. here, those sort of games. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I have like a Super Famicom, and I was about to get a regular ass Famicom when I was in Tokyo this week, but um, you have to, you have to bring it. It's hard bringing it back. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard, like, explore. I, even with all the games, they still like flagged my bag and they were like, what's, what's going on here? And it's just like, it's just game cartridges. It's just, <laughs> you've seen big game cartridges. It's fine. Trust me, come on. It's, it's suspicious, yeah, it's, but then ignore it. Look at me. Look at me. I'm aware I'm I wearing this time in esports actually, which was really fun. Mm -hmm. I did not see that as a direction my career was going to go, but when Turner Sports launched E-League, yeah. uh, I was heavily involved in the Counter-Strike seasons for that. Uh, actually got oh, to go man. out to Atlanta and work with their broadcast team, interview all those guys. And uh, that turned out to be really fun. It was just one of those things like I thought, oh, yeah, this is kind of interesting. You know, I'll, I'll maybe do a piece on it. And soon I was talking to all of their analysts and they were like, you want to come out yeah. and actually watch a tournament and, and actually oh, wow. interview some of the players. And I was like, OK. And that was a boatload of fun. What's actually really fun about it is because it was live, um, you can see me in the background. I actually had a chair with my name on it. Oh, which was like, sweet. I was like, okay, this is when you know you've made it in your career is when you that's show up awesome. somewhere and there's something with your specific name on it. And yeah. of course, I got all really excited. Like, I'm doing the, let me take an Instagram picture of the chair with my name on it. And let me tell everybody at home, like, hey, make sure you tune in. I'm going to be, and of course, everybody missed it. I came home from that trip and I said, yeah, did you guys see me on TV? And everyone's like, oh, we forgot that was on. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> the one time I can brag, you guys totally missed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've always thought about getting into streaming. I've always thought about, like, I don't like getting into Twitch or Mixer or something like that. And, you know, not that I, my, my thing is, and it kind of comes with writing, like, not journalistic writing, but just writing creatively or whatever. Right. I always wonder, like, what do I have to bring in the table that doesn't already exist? Um, and so when it comes to streaming, it's like, should I get into streaming? There's plenty of streamers. What do I have that doesn't, like, why would, okay. Or would you just do it for the love of the game? I don't know. That, that's one of those things that I've, it's kind of a pseudo resolution I have coming into 2024. I have all the hardware. I have a webcam. I have a capture card. I have, right. you know, com, you know, the consoles. Um, yeah, it's something, something I think about. Um, if people would want to see this face. Playing. I don't think you have to, I mean, it's one of those things where whether or not you're the, you know, what, what you, as you say, new, you have yeah. you, you have you. I mean, obviously, 
<laughs> like say your writing per se, it's it's good and it's and your interviews are good because of who you are, even if other people do the same stuff, you do it just as well. So come on. I would totally well, do that. Yeah. Stuff. It took me a while. You know, I, it was, it was an, one of the editors that no longer like works with us anymore, but she was like, you know, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I do interviews. All right. I do. Okay. She's like, no, no, you're like good at this. And I was like, yeah. I'm at a point in my career doing covering like as an entertainment journalist or whatever you want to call it. Um, where I'm like, look, I've been around the game long enough and that's not a fluke. Right. I exactly. concede that I'm reliable. <laughs> 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 like, I'll go that far. Um, and so, yeah, it's a matter of like, because I mean, Brian, you've written a book. Like, there's parts of me that's like, well, I know enough about pop culture to theoretically write a book. I would just need to like find an agent, I guess. Well, I mean, it's book. Don't get me wrong. Is it cool to have you know? I've written a few books, and is it cool? Yes, it's cool to have written a couple of books and be able to have some tangible little things to go. Hey, here are my three books that <laughs> people paid me to go write. <laughs> that yeah. is cool. But I mean, the publishing industry is so different nowadays. Yeah. And really, what we're doing here online, people that's people see it a lot more than they're ever going to see the books that we do. So, yeah. So Same. I think you'll, you'll, you'll see, you'll have a presence out there that uh, people will know Sandstone, I think. And they, and it's a, uh... I guess I still, I keep getting offers. So yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah. You'll you be surprised I... by how much of an impact this stuff has. I, I think that's a lesson that I've had to learn too. getting older. I, I used to have kind of similar to what Sam was saying earlier, real aversion to being on camera. Um, right. I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I sound. I've always been, I tend to look like I'm 15 and it, it gets really awkward in certain press situations. Um, but I kind of realized as I got older, I said, you know what? I'm just going to do what I love right. and, and become comfortable with that. Stop trying to be the journalist that I think people want to see or the person I think people want to see. And I'm just going to go and do something because I love it. And I think that comes through. I think whether you're writing or whether you're doing something like this or whether, you know, I have a separate podcast that I do. The most important thing is people can tell when you care what you're doing. You know? yeah. And that's, that's, that's kind of how I've started to do it. I mean, that's how I got into acting. I finally just put my hands down and said, I don't care anymore. If anybody judges me for the way I look doing this, it's something that I want to do. And it turns right. out I really love doing it. Yeah. You know, and Jonathan Groff thinks I'm amazing at it. So, you know what? Even if nobody else ever says anything nice to me about it again, I have that one thing. <laughs> I think the the most compliments I've ever gotten on my work were either was either the Sandman Netflix interview at San Diego Comic-Con in 2022 or the Critical Role Legend of Vox Machina interview I did in New York also in 2022. Because especially the critical role fans, they'll let you know if you get it wrong. Oh, they will. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so they, you know, they reached out and were very complimentary to that interview. And I was just like, oh, thank God. Because I would, you know, that's what it comes down to. You don't want to let the talent and the studio and the, and the fans down, you, you know, yeah. put in somebody that actually knows the work or will do the research. And uh, so it, it, it is a huge deal to me when... Do you know who the most critical fans I've ever dealt with in X amount of years? Ready? Uh, and it's not X-Men. No, you'll never, the, the hardest, like these dudes 
are so into it. And if you are slightly off, Garfield fans. Oh, I was going to say Elf Quest is my second. Garfield. All <laughs> Garfield fans don't mess around. I've written a few Garfield articles over the years, and those guys get very upset about anything. <laughs> Is it Monday? Do they hate it on? It's, if it comes out on Monday, do they get grumpy? Is it a I case? I love that Garfield. The idea that the Garfield fandom is out there and they are ready to check you if you. I love you step out of line. I love how Garfield has become like an ironic. Him and SpongeBob are like ironic icons. Like they just no no of, Garfield's amazing. You shut up. Now not ironic Garfield. I love you. <laughs> I, Garfield's amazing. Everyone knows that. When I, next time I'll wear my uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion shirt, but I don't know if you you can find it online. It's it says Neon Genesis Evangelion, but it's in the style of the Garfield and Friends, like '90s cartoon show with Garfield on it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's the <laughs> and I remember if you go to like um, Harajuku, which is kind of like the thrift fashion neighborhood in Tokyo, you can find tons of Garfield merch. They love Garfield and Harvey. As well they should, because Garfield's amazing. <laughs> Everyone acknowledge that. We all know this. Oh yeah. Yeah. I still have my uh my still have my like weird shaped newspaper strip shaped uh trades, you know, trade paperbacks from like the nineties. Um yeah. No, I have, I love Garfield. I, yeah, please don't kill me, Garfield Mafia. <laughs> <laughs> I remember using because they, they originally printed them in the '90s. They were printed in black and white, and uh, my mom used to give me colored buy me colored pencils, and I used to color the comic strips, um, right. comic strip collections. And I used to do that a bit with Peanuts too, um, which is I mean they're about to get a new collection and a new TV special, so keep an eye out for for that. So I yeah, Peanuts and Garfield for me are like. God tier. <laughs> and Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes is also mm-hmm. God tier comic strip. So Yeah, Paige Braddock is she's doing a really nice job with the peanut stuff. It's 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 nice to know that they have that Shelter's work is in such good hands with the yeah. people. That's always nice to see. And then his kids are still like, you know, involved with, right, right. with all that. But yeah, I mean, I think we're coming up on time. And anything you guys are looking forward to in 2024 as we kind of, you know, kick off this year now that we're less than three weeks into it? I, I'm well, we know Brittany's looking for... forward to, we know your Broadway show you're looking forward to, right, Britt? Yeah, I mean, that that's going to be fun. Um, I also get to go, and we're doing Back to the Future, the musical, while I'm out mm-hmm. there and spam a lot. Okay. So that'll be fun. Nice. Um, I am waiting for the next series or the rumored special for Line of Duty. I am a huge fan of that show. And I know they were talking about maybe doing a special to bridge the gap between series or they were just going to roll into a new series. Um, so I'd love to see that uh, hit at some point next year because that's always a, a must watch for me. Um, <clears throat> if you haven't caught up on that yet, that is one of the best crime dramas of all time. And actually, it's funny. I keep telling my acting coach, I said, I really want to play Martin Compson's role in Line of Duty, because I'm a huge Martin Compson fan, huge fan of that show. I said, the problem is finding a scene from that that you can do in an acting class, because every scene is about 10 straight pages of dialogue, and it's just two people sitting in a room talking, mm-hmm. um, which is really hard to do in an acting class. Like, let's just sit here for 30-odd minutes and run this whole thing. So maybe one of these days I'll get to play Steve Arnett, But <laughs> Right on. 
Brian, you got anything? What's funny? What's funny, uh, Britt, is that uh, um, you, you know, you see that how Richard Linklater's doing the Merrily movie? Yes. Um, that you know, it's going to take it's going to take twenty five years to film it, which is yeah. and then which is awesome. And they, he already replaced his lead actor, which is always fun <laughs> when you're doing a project that's going to take twenty five years to film. But mm-hmm. any event, uh, I was just thinking, Link. Uh, that reminds me because Linklater has a new movie coming out with uh, Glenn uh, Powell. That's, that sounds really awesome. Where Powell is co-writing the movie, yep. so that's that sounds like that's going to be a lot of fun later this year. Yeah. Uh, on the comic side, how cool is it that we have this um, Ultimate Spider-Man comic book with oh, uh, so, John the Hickman? Where so a it's a really cool comic book. Yeah. But b people are really into it. Oh, it's <laughs> yeah. And it's it's, it's been a while since we've had a comic book that people are really into. Yeah, this, to the same level, and it's really cool to see how what it's like when people get super into a new comic book. Yeah, yeah, it it it, it lifts the entire medium almost. Totally, right? totally. You know, there's this like cross market or beyond market appeal. Um, you know, so yeah, I've, that that first issue of Ultimate Spider-Man is one of the best issues, one of the best number ones I've read in a long time, for Marvel or otherwise. Um, you know, it's, I'm curious to see what, uh, what, uh, I enjoyed the first Jason Aaron issue of action. You know, I'm a huge DC kid, so it's been cool watching Josh Williamson on Superman and, and Jason now on action and, um, you know, creator own wise, uh, keeping an eye on distillery, keeping an eye on ghost machine as that's coming, coming and rolling out. And, um, Jason's about to relaunch or do whatever with, Ninja Turtles, so that's going to be bananas. That's really interesting, right? Yeah, it is. It is. It's interesting to see what writers do as soon as they get out of their exclusivity contracts. <laughs> <laughs> and so now that he's like doing DC and IDW, it's it's cool. It's cool. And Jason's uh, Jason's a good guy. So yeah. And in terms of like video games, we get we're about to get a new Tekken baby. We're 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 getting into the getting back into the fighting game world. It's a great if you're a fighting game fan. New Street Fighter, new Mortal Kombat, new Tekken in less than a year. You know, we live in. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's yeah, it's I, I think we're we're in for a fun year and and, and uh, next month we're going to have all the t- new TV is going to start back up, so that's always good. Yeah, Constellation on Apple TV Plus. Well, and- technically this week it actually did because NBC kicked off their fall schedule this week. Oh, you're right. So, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing the uh, one Chicago shows, and then tonight is Law and Order Thursday. Um, yeah, I have so to cover get, all of it. How many episodes are they going to do? 13? How they, how I, don't, they do I don't know if it's been announced, but uh, it's really interesting when you're embedded in a franchise like that. I, I've been embedded with One Chicago for, for years. I don't do as much of it as I used to. But when they all air on the same night and you're going, I have to sit here for three hours <laughs> straight. So uh-huh. um, this this particular year, I've already told our, our colleagues at CBR, I said, no. I said, I will do, like, if there were screeners... I will help you out. Like I am, right. I, I, I'm not sitting here doing three hours on a Wednesday and three hours on a Thursday to cover two franchises. Like, right. no. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, I remember having to cover the Arrowverse at its peak, right? Oh, geez. You're right. We'd yeah, have like was... half a dozen shows and it was just like, uh, and then I would also cover what else? Was, Cause I was do I was like doing a lot of CW stuff at the time. So I was also covering Walker. I was covering Kung Fu and I was covering like one. Uh, I was doing a little bit of Riverdale stuff, and it was it was a lot. It was, uh, yeah, 
And now not as much because of CW's <laughs> current strategy. So who knows? <laughs> but yeah, no, well, it's been good comparing notes, guys. And, you know, maybe we can yeah, do that. Was- I don't know what the plans are. Maybe we can do this again. Yeah, so, anytime. That'd be fun. Well, yeah, I'm so glad uh, you three could talk and so glad uh, always a joy to listen. And you've given me a lot to look forward to in the new year. So thank you all for that. And uh, I just had this image of like Dustin, you just passed out somewhere on your couch while we were just going on. (laughs) No, rigorously taking notes as uh, as you three were going on plans for uh, plans for the year. So thank you. And uh, and thanks to our listeners. And uh, we'll see you next time on dynamic duo.